Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. I've got Wyatt at the board running the show. And it's hour two of Guide Talk, so that means uh, any question you have, we will do our very best to give you an answer. 877-933-2484. My power panel today is Dr. Greg Borgon, uh, Pastor Tom Parrish, and Jeff Verdorn. So whatever questions you have, we're going to do our very best to answer. There's great questions coming in. But before we get to any new questions, I think there's still discussion from last hour when we were talking about, can you lose your salvation? And other questions have come in. Maybe another question I can ask is, can you walk away from God's protective hand? You know, if you walk away, one of the things that has to happen is everything that happens at the moment of salvation would have to be reversed. So the things that happen at the moment of salvation is you're born again, you're made a new creation, you're forgiven, your old self is crucified with Christ, and you've been raised with Christ, you're justified, you're made righteous, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit, you're made a child of God. There's there's a lot of things that happen the moment that you believe in and are saved. Well, all of that would have to be undone. And what I don't find in the New Testament is a description of, of all of those things ever being undone. I don't find a voice, a verse that says you can be unborn again or unforgiven or you, he would have to crucify the new creation that he made and he'd have to resurrect the old self who was dead in their trespasses and sins. This kind of language just doesn't exist. So look, can a person, a Christian, a true born again Christian get angry at God and rebel and and, and be upset and have a what I like to call is a, is a temper tantrum. We know that children can, can wake up and get temper tantrums and say, I, I'm going to run away from home. I wish I was never born, whatever. And I think we as Christians can do the same thing with our Heavenly Father. You, you know, for me, I find it impossible to be a Christian and then become an apostate. So the question I have is, can a true believer of Jesus Christ become an apostate or create apostasy? Like you're saying, Jeff, I mean, they can throw a tizzy fit against God, Mm -hmm. but that's not really apostasy. So the point is, is that there are a lot of people who love religion for religion's sake and are willing to kind of identify themselves with Jesus in the church, who wouldn't want eternal life, uh, this one scholar says, and blessing. However, Jesus warns us to count the cost of discipleship. True believers have counted the cost and made the commitment. Apostates failed to do so. He says apostates had a profession of faith at one time, but not a possession of faith. Their mouths spoke something other than what their hearts believed. So apostasy is not the loss of salvation, but evidence of, he says, past pretension. So the idea of being a follower of Christ, fully follower of Christ, it, to me it's an impossibility to be an apostate. If you're apostate, then you're not a follower of Christ. But it goes back to what you and I have been talking about, sure. Tom, and, 
And that is, who's going to assess the health of somebody's heart? The only one that can really do that is God. Right. So I can't question them. Now, what we might be hearing from somebody sounds like apostasy. Well, I, I tried re- Christianity, and I've turned my back on it. Well, were they really a Christian to begin with? This is a question you need to ask yourself. It's not that you necessarily need to confront that person right. with that question, but you need to ask yourself that question. If you've come to believe, like we just talked about, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, that you're sealed, then it's impossible for you to commit apostasy having been sealed, unless now you're acknowledging the fact that the seal can be broken. Well, if if people get angry, and, I, you know, even Christians we know, their children die unexpectedly, things happen. Christians go through anger and frustration, too, not understanding mm-hmm. the Lord. The good news is, is that the Lord never gives up on us. That's right. You know, if, if I made a commitment to Jesus on October 1st, 1985, but in the meantime, my life has been horrible and I'm angry at the Lord because of several divorces or my kids or whatever else, that doesn't end his love. And his hand is still stretched out and will be stretched out to me until the day I die because of the salvation he's given. He wants me to be his disciple. And so, one, I do believe in in the salvation when you can, you know, you're born again, you confess. But then at the same time, when people drift or have their problems, that's where the Lord's hand is still reaching out. He will not give up on you. And that's the good news. He's the hound of heaven. You know, I think one of the frustrating things about this particular issue is that we can talk about it doctrinally, right? What, is, what does Scripture say? And I, I believe that Scripture uh, affirms that we can have assurance of salvation. Um, but we know there are cases, like First uh, John 2 says, they went out from us, but they were not of us, right? Mm-hmm. So there are people that that profess it, but don't possess it, like uh, Greg, like you were talking about. So that that mouth the words, but never believed and were never mm-hmm. born again. Mm-hmm. The problem is, as we've already discussed this, but just to emphasize this, we can talk about the doctrine, but with any individual case, and I, and I get this, I'm sure you guys do too. Well, what about my uncle Joe? You know, he did this and this and this, and now he's doing this and this and this. The problem is, is we can't see the heart. So I can't apply the doctrine of assurance in any individual case because I just can't see the heart. Only God can. And you know, Bill, you were talking about, can you remove yourself from the protective care? Was that your question? Can we walk away from God's God's protective protective hand? See, his hand. Yes. There is no way you could, I I think you you made the statement and you're absolutely right that, that no one can, it says in scripture, actually, no one can snatch you out of God's right. hand. But you can move away from the protection of God by choosing to sin in a certain direction. You're going to suffer the consequences of, of those actions. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, in essence, you remove yourself from the protection of God, who says that, you know, you won't be tempted beyond your temptation. He'll give you a way to escape so you're able to endure it. You're removing yourself from uh, his authority. And so, you're letting, you're releasing yourself to the wolves, so to speak, but that doesn't mean that God doesn't care for you or that right. anyone will snatch you out of his hand. You've, you've chosen to break uh, fellowship and go your own way for a season, and you'll suffer the consequences of that. There are two dilemmas. Remember, there, I'm go sorry, ahead. there's a great promise in Romans 8, by the way, that talks about this, that whether or not we, and nobody can snatch you out, but can we walk away? Well, we are in creation, right? 
Each individual is inside creation, and Romans 8 promises that I'm convinced that neither life nor death nor angels nor demons nor the present nor future nor any powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That includes us. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting because the scriptures, you look at Romans, Paul talks about our justification in Romans in a legal way. It's like a courtroom. We have been declared righteous, even though we're sinful. But then there are other parts of Scripture that talks about our relationship with Father, Son, Holy Spirit relationally, like a marriage. I'm not sure we've married those two together very well in talking about this topic, because when I read assurance in Scripture, the assurance isn't my assurance. It's the assurance of what the Lord has done. My confidence is in what he has done. Not in what I'm doing, because I'm up and down. I'm like a yo-yo at times, even in, in my faith walk. But I know that the Lord will never abandon me. The Lord will never give up on me. The Lord's hand will always be outstretched. And that's why when I'm with people that are dying, I want them to hear that very clearly. Do you still have this opportunity to respond to the Lord? And if you gave your life to Jesus 50 years ago, but you've walked away and you've done this, you still he's still reaching out. Reach back. Call upon his and name. That- and, trust and that him. is why God says, based on that time, exactly that being confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it yeah. on to completion until yeah. the day of Christ Jesus. It's up to him because he has promised it. You know, the scary thing for me is that we all have the capacity to become prodigals. Depending on the circumstances and the situation, we're all susceptible. That's why we need a Savior every day. Absolutely. Not just at the moment of conversion, that's why we need, now we see darkly, and now we, we go through struggles, and so we need a Savior every single day because there but for the grace of God, go I. Exactly. I can be a prodigal. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, can, what does it mean in Revelation about the great falling away? Jeff, I'm looking your direction. Yeah, the falling away in Revelation, does, does it, do they give a... Uh, I want to say, I, no, they didn't give a chapter verse. verse. Um, um, I don't have a falling away in Revelation. There's a falling away in Thessalonians. There's one in Hebrews. There's uh, one with the parable of the sower. Um, okay. I'm searching. I think you're right, too. I think you're, you, I don't, I don't think I find it myself. Could it be Revelation 17 by chance, Jeff? See what, why it does? Why it shows it, up with the Well, I just looked it up. Answer. It looks like there's a comparison between what you mentioned in Second Thessalonians and Revelation 17, so I don't know if that's... Okay, so read the verse. Which verse? In, well, it has the entire chapter, so I don't know if it's a specific verse or not, but it starts at the beginning of chapter 17. All right, we're going to... Yeah, do you want to... Maybe you could follow up with him and get a particular verse. We'll revisit that. If you can uh, give us a particular verse, that would be great. Yeah, I think it's 2 Thessalonians uh, 3, uh, chapter 2, verse 3. No one, uh, uh, let no one deceive you in any way, for the day will not come unless rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed to the son of destruction. It doesn't say a great falling away, but it's referred to... It, uh, as what does it mean that there will be a great falling away before Christ returns? Second Thessalonians two three. Yeah, actually, uh, uh, Bill, we just did this whole chapter on Tuesday. I know, uh, and we we 
My memory's spend not an that entire bad. Hour, that's right. We'd spend an entire hour on this. So if you want to go back to the podcast, it would take too long to kind of go through this again. But there is a time coming when uh, the, the, the Antichrist is going to be revealed and he's going to do his work. And what I taught on Second Thessalonians 2, however, is that the rapture, the taking away, the restraining force needs to be removed and then the land, uh, man of lawlessness will be revealed. So I believe that is actually a teaching of the pre-tribulation rapture. Uh, but you can go back and listen to that entire podcast from uh, Tuesday, 5 o'clock hour. Mm-hmm. Where I try to pay real attention to this, Bill, is that we're witnessing a great falling away right now in America, even in Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had talked about that even before we got on the air. There is probably the greatest falling away from the gospel that I have seen historically in a long, long time. And we have to take that seriously and get serious about today is the day of salvation for people, because if they don't hear, they're going to be lost before the Lord. Mm-hmm. All right, next question, gentlemen. Can a new Christian be confident that they are saved, but they tell the Lord that they are not willing to give up their promiscuity? <laughs> don't laugh. I'm not question. laughing because I, I can identify with this. You I, know? I, yeah, I did lead someone to Christ who said, I, am, yeah. I said, what is, your, what is keeping you back from becoming a believer and and he said i i don't want to give up premarital i don't want to give up premarital sex that's what he said and i said well why don't you make your step of faith and work it out with god start instantly working it out with him and i talked to him a couple months later and he said i go how's it going he goes well i know one thing for sure i'm never having sex again until i get married (laughs) you know (laughs) that happened pretty fast you're right, and that's why I, I find this humorous, because I've heard this a lot from people, and like you, Bill, I say, let's first get right with Jesus. Right. Let's let's surrender to Jesus, and then if he wants you to stop doing that, believe me, he can help you stop doing that. But I think what we want to do is when we talk about coming to Jesus and repenting, <clears throat> now, people that come to Jesus and born again are repenting, are not repenting of everything in their life that has ever tempted them and that it's all gone. They are beginning a process of walking with Jesus now, and believe me, he will bring you under conviction and deal with those things just like you witnessed. Well, you know, just like salvation is a journey that begins with conversion, so is the, um, you know, you're you're growing in maturity. And so God often starts with a brand new believer in the big chunks that need to be dealt with. Right. And it's and it's going to be a process. It's not going to be everything just disappears the moment that you're converted. Fact of the matter is what you're defending now is something you don't want to give up. As God works on your heart, there'll come a time, just as you just related the story, Bill, mm-hmm. of this person, that you'll come to the truth yourself. It's exactly. the truth that sets you free. It's not up to us as a as an arguer on behalf of God. It's the Spirit of God that convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. They'll bring them to that point in a, of understanding. So it's not a matter of getting a clean slate. It's a matter of being given an eraser that you have to go ahead and work on that slate by the power of the Spirit of God to start removing those things that don't bring honor to Good God. word. All right, gentlemen. Uh, we, sir, oh, sorry, Jeff. No, I served on a board really quick. I served on a board of a... a, a uh, life ministry uh, for and doing ultrasounds and things like that. There was a woman on the on the board that um, was previously unsaved and was a staunch abortionist, but she got saved, and only after she was saved did her views on abortion start to change. Sure, and then she ended up serving on a life 
ministry mm. board, and that's where she's at today. So Christ is in the life-changing business. Yeah. Let's get people saved and then let God transform Absolutely. by the renewal of the mind. I agree yep. with you, Jeff. No yep. good. You're listening to Guy Talk or Guys Who Talk, and I promise if you have a question, we'll do our very best to answer it. I still have great questions on the board that I'm going to get to, so if you've already sent in a question, just hang tough. We'll get to it. 877-933-2484. Be right back. Oh, there's so much sadness and desperation and loneliness, especially at Christmas time. It seems to me that there is almost like a big magnifying glass on the world, and we see problems just magnified, and we see people in their desperate situations almost worse than ever. But there is something we can do about it. And when we think of the story of Jesus, that is the story of hope. And if you have a story to tell, and you can give hope to someone this year by sharing their story, we want you to do it. You can go do that at myfaithradio.com. I encourage you to do it. Welcome to Guy Talk, or Guys Who Talk. Questions that you have, we will try to answer, 877-933-2484, limited to 28 questions per person. So <laughs> just give you a heads up. All right, gentlemen, are the Jewish people still the chosen people, or did that change after Jesus came? They actually still are the chosen people of God. Mm-hmm. Um, the, there is a future for Israel. Has God rejected his people? By no means, Paul says in, in Romans. And, and Romans 11 says, and so all Israel will be saved or shall be saved. Look, God made a promise to, to, uh, to Abraham long ago in Genesis chapter 12 that you and your descendants after you will possess this land forever, this land that he gave to Abraham. That promise was passed on to his son, Isaac, and then passed on to his son, Jacob. And so the descendants of Jacob, who was renamed Israel, God has promised would possess the land forever. That gift and that call, Scripture says, is irrevocable. And so, yes, when Jesus returns, Scripture says that the remnant of Israel that's still alive at the end of the tribulation will be saved. They will look upon him whom they have pierced. They'll finally recognize their Messiah, and they will enter into the millennial kingdom and be saved. I respect what you said. That's not the way most people talk about it, though, that I hear. They talk about two plans of salvation— the chosen people of Israel, and then the church. And you can't do that and eliminate Jesus from one group, but apply him to another group. And I run into this kind of theology a lot, and I'm disturbed by it. Because I look at 1 Peter 2.9, Peter is talking to the church, and he says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are given the same... Um, titles that Israel had. The point is, yes, do I believe the Lord's going to save uh, a remnant of Israel? Absolutely. Uh, but I don't believe any Israelite is going to be saved because they're the chosen people if they don't bow to Jesus. Because yeah, without so you, Jesus, you there have, is no salvation. Yeah, one of the things that what you were describing early on, Tom, is something that I also reject completely, and that is dual covenant theology, right. like there's a different path for the nation of Israel versus mm-hmm. the, the people of God through salvation. And there are some in the in the Christian church that, that teach this, that you don't have to evangelize Jews. Look, Roman, 
Romans makes it clear that we're all under sin, Jew and Gentile alike, that Christ came and died for Jew and Gentile alike, and he offers salvation to Jew and Gentile alike, and whosoever believes will be saved. So from an individual perspective, there is no dual covenant. There's only one, uh, but that doesn't take away what I was describing, that there's yet a future national salvation on the day that Jesus comes and his feet stand on the Mount of Olives. I agree, and that's if we could communicate that well— I'd be thrilled, but I keep running into pastors who are teaching it as we mm-hmm. talked about differently, and I'm bothered by that because Jesus gets left out of the picture. All right. It's uh, looking for your questions, 877-933-2484. I've got uh, an interesting question, and we're back to talking about people stepping away from the faith. How do you begin a conversation about Jesus to someone who grew up knowing about Jesus but has rejected the faith. How do you begin a conversation? Again, with somebody like that, I, I try to listen to them. If they are openly telling me I don't believe that stuff anymore, then the first thing I do is I say, okay, great. Tell me what you have read or studied that has brought you to that conclusion because I'd like to take a look at it too. Now, in 90% of the cases, they have nothing. It's just simply the cultural attitude or the cultural beliefs. If they do have something, uh, I want to look at it, and I want to read what they're saying, because I believe that the truth of Jesus is out there, and we can match anything that comes out of the culture with disbelief with the truth of the gospel. Um, but it takes time. And I think the biggest problem for people is we don't understand we need to take time with people and listen to them. And I know the my blessing is I've seen a lot of atheists come to faith in Jesus and agnostics. Um, rarely did it happen in the first meeting. It was multiple meetings over multiple periods of time and a lot of prayer in between. Uh, but I've seen them come to faith. But it is being respectful but challenging their thinking. Where did you get that information? Show me. I want to know more. If I may make a... Small observation here. If someone grew up knowing about Jesus but has rejected the faith, I'm guessing that their current lifestyle is in conflict with biblical truth. And their personal narrative is more important than being a follower of Jesus. Mm -hmm. They don't really want to reject God. They just want to live the life they want to live. Well, and as I tell people that are in that situation, you have a perfect right to be as miserable as you want to be. Because most of these people I deal with like that are unhappy people. Mm. They're looking for something more. They're thinking that what they have now has made up for that, but they still don't have it. And I always tell them, hey, my phone's always available to you. You can always call me. I'll meet you anywhere, day or night. We can talk about this. I think a lot of it. I thought a lot Blaise of it. Pascal, I'm sorry, yeah. Blaise Pascal made a famous line. He said, uh, there's a God-shaped void yeah. in every man's heart that only Christ can fill. Yeah. And so these people think they're enjoying the ways of this world, but there's inside, Tom, just as you were saying, they're empty. There's a void. It needs to be fulfilled. And I know there's a deconstruction movement that's very popular today of many high-profile people, actually, who said they grew up in the faith and now have uh, deconstructed their faith and are no longer following Christ and have very, been very public about it. I think we use the same approach that Paul used, and th- and that is he. It says he reasoned with them from the scriptures. Mm-hmm. He he loved people. He became all things to all people. And I think when you when you show people, look, God is calling all people, drawing all men to Himself. When I'm lifted up, 
I will draw all men to myself. So he puts eternity in men's hearts. He writes his laws on people's hearts. He is evident in creation. He sends the Holy Spirit out to, to convict of sin and righteousness and judgment. And God promises, First Thessalonians says, that when we preach the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, God is right alongside with power and deep conviction of the Holy Spirit, Scripture says. So uh, God's on your side helping uh, to, to proclaim him to the world. I think one of the reasons why people do not want to give up who they think they are is based on fear, because what they're being asked to embrace is something that they don't know, and they'd rather live. It's kind of like live with the devil you know. So, you know, C.S. Lewis wrote about it in his book called The Great Divorce, where many people got on this bus into the edge of heaven, were given an opportunity to cross over, and every one of them said no, except one. And the ones who said no wanted to uh, embrace and stay independent and and to live the life that they knew. They didn't want to give that up because they were afraid of what they might end up being, and they'd lose who they think they are. So I think a lot of it has to do with just fear of giving up the known for the unknown. And that takes faith to make that step. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, gentlemen, before <clears throat> Jesus uh, came to earth, where uh, did people go when they died? Well, this is this Hades conversation. This mm-hmm. is another question that we get um, uh, fairly often. Uh, Luke 16 describes this place called Hades. In the Old Testament, it's called Sheol, or it's usually translated in the Old Testament as the grave. So this is where uh, people like uh, King David went, where it says that uh, he pleads to God, don't abandon me in Sheol, don't abandon me in the grave. And, And God basically says, don't worry, I got a plan. So here's the plan. Both the righteous and the unrighteous, when they died before the cross, went to this place called Hades. But Hades had two sides. Mm -hmm. The righteous side, the bosom of Abraham, a place called comfort or paradise, and the side of torment. So when the rich man and Lazarus go down into this place, there's a chasm in between. There's no crossing from one side to the other. So this is not some kind of purgatory uh, uh, justification in any way because there's no crossing from one side to the other. But clearly the rich man was in torment and clearly Lazarus was in comfort. This, by the way, is where Jesus descended into for three days and three nights when he was in the heart of the earth. And then after the cross, all of those on the good side, the righteous side, are set free. He came to set the captives free, and they Mm -hmm. are now up in heaven. And now after the cross, we have this wonderful, great promise that those who are in Christ, when we die, will immediately be with the Lord in heaven, where Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. Yep. All right. I've got a question. Um... And let's pray for this this dear person. How do I get out of my apostate? I truly want to live for the Lord. Let's pray for this Sounds good. dear person. Tom Paris, would you do our yep. honor? Lord, we pray for this person. Obviously, you're working in their heart, drawing them back to you. And that's the good news. They need to know, Lord, that you have not given up and that you're after them. And you want them back in your arms and close to you. So give them that desire, give them that peace, and Lord, make it happen to your honor and glory. Do it now, Jesus. You know, the word of encouragement that I would give this person is they wouldn't even be asking that question if they weren't saved. They wouldn't be concerned about it. The only reason is, is that the Spirit of God lives in them, 
And, you know, there's such a thing as righteous guilt that, that the Spirit of God gives us, not shame, but righteous guilt. So I hope this is encouraging to you in some measure that you wouldn't even be asking that question if you weren't saved. Good word. And the very fact that you coming and asking the question shows something of your humility as well. Yeah. So I don't think you're far from having some clarity about this issue and God responding and ministering to your time of need. Well said. Greg B. All right, we're going to take a break. Come back with lots more God Talk. Thank you for your questions. They're wonderful. 877-933-2484. Still have some questions that have been asked that I'm going to get to, so don't go anywhere if you've already put a question in. But thank you so much for uh, making God Talk so much uh, fun and interesting because you ask incredibly good questions. Be right back. We're enjoying Guide Talk. We uh, love your questions, so thank you for sending them over. If you have one, 877-933-2484. My power panel is Greg B. Tom P. and Jeff V. I'm looking your direction, Jeff V., on this next one. Can you explain the judgment seat of Christ? Do we really all stand before Jesus while he reviews our entire lives and then and then put into different categories in heaven? <laughs> I love this question because it's been taught this way. And I don't know if you remember this or not, uh, anybody. Uh, there was a one-act play going around that was actually really good. Uh, some guy, I think he was from Texas, and he went around to churches for uh, over a decade uh, doing a one-act play on the judgment seat. But at one point in this play, it's his turn, and he goes up to the front, and now a, a, a movie is played of his whole life. Well, I don't know about you guys, but do you want a movie of your entire life played before all of heaven? And and I don't think anybody does. And I don't think that's the picture because it says in Corinthians that the our deeds are tested with fire. What remains survives, we are rewarded. Everything else is burned up. So if God has forgiven the believer of their sins and he remembers their sin no more, he no longer counts it against them, he has separated it as far as the east is from the west and remembers it no more, it's, there's no way he's going to broadcast it to all of heaven. So I think the picture is, is all of that unrighteous work that we've done in our lives, everything done outside of faith is burned up. What remains, we receive our reward, but it's not, not shown to all of heaven. Sorry. I would encourage the... Uh the questioner, to take John 5.24, print it and hang it on your wall. And here's the thing I like about this. Truly, truly, I say to you, says Jesus, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, mm. but is passed from death to life. Jesus took our judgment. Now, the rewards in heaven, I don't fully understand that biblically. I'm not concerned about that. I simply want to be there eternally with the Lord. And that's my goal, mm -hmm. to walk with Jesus in, into eternity. But in terms of judgment, judgment took place on the cross for those who believe in Jesus. We're not going to be judged in that sense according to 
so-called deeds in terms of salvation. It's it you know it's already going to be assessed whether or not you've lived your life in the faith and it amounts to wood, hay, and stubble that's burned up by the fire of uh, the fire of God's holiness, uh, or it's going to be precious stones, gold, silver, and precious stones, which always is refined by fire. I think the the decision about what's going to be precious stones and what's going to be wood, hay, and stubble is already made. You are to receive crowns, it says, that it's in right. several places. 2 Timothy 2.5, 2 Timothy 4.8, James 1.12, 1 Peter 5.4, Revelation 2.10. So it's the matter of awarding um, you for the walk of faith that God sees that there has been a return on his investment, and it's a time of honoring yeah. Yeah, remember there's two judgments, and they're they're both called judgments. But as as Tommy was saying, you're you're absolutely right. This is not a judgment for believers. Mm-hmm. Every both judgment for the believers, the judgment seat of Christ or the bema seat, and the judgment for unbelievers, the great white throne judgment, they're both on judged on deeds. All right. Mm-hmm. So they're both based on deeds. However, which judgment you go to is based on faith. Right, those yeah, who have yeah. faith appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Those who don't have faith are going to appear before the great white throne judgment. All right, here's a follow-up question. You mentioned in the Old Testament there was a paradise. When Jesus said to the thief, "Today you shall be with me in paradise," where is that? Heaven or paradise? Well, the way I was describing it, as it relates to Hades, is that where it, it basically gets to where did Jesus go? when he died, and where did he spend three days and three nights? And so, you know, this is debated about whether or not he went to heaven or whether he went to the righteous side of Hades. And I think the answer is in Matthew, where Jesus, I think, tells us, he says, just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Well, Hades is always described as being in the heart of the earth, in the center of the earth, in the earth below or whatever. Heaven, God's throne, is always described as being up. And, you know, that's why we point up for heaven and down for Hades, actually. So I think we know that Jesus went down to Hades. In fact, the Apostles' Creed says as such, right? He was crucified before Pilate, dead and buried, descended into hell. Now, I think that should be Hades. Mm-hmm. And then was raised on the third day and appeared to so on, and that's the Apostles' Creed. And and so that's where Jesus went, to the, to the righteous side, which was called paradise, and now paradise in heaven. John Paul said, I know a man who is caught up to the paradise of God, the third heaven. So we know now paradise is up in heaven where God's throne is. All right, this question was in hour one, and somehow in the flurry of all the text messages, I missed it, so I apologize to Gina. Maybe you're still listening. I visited Israel in September 2022. Do you think that it's more probable that the Holy Sepulchre or the Garden Tomb is the site of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection? I'm convinced that the Garden Tomb is more in line with with Scripture. However, my half-Jewish tour guide believes that the Holy Sepulchre is more likely the place. Your thoughts? <laughs> what was our tour guide's name? Because I, I, I have the, ex- the exact same experience because I believe that the garden mm-hmm. tomb meets many more of the biblical descriptions of the place where Jesus was uh, crucified and buried and rose again, as opposed to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which I don't really think meets any of the criteria biblically. Uh, but my Jewish tour guide also 
puts the Holy Sepulcher above the garden tomb as well. So uh, look, the, the main thing is, and they'll tell you this at the garden tomb, by the way, is do we know this is the spot? And they'll say, no, we don't know for sure this is the spot. But here's the good news. He's not here. He has risen. <laughs> yeah. Right? Just as he said. Well, Amen? Well, I've been, I've been there too, uh, Jeff. And if, I'm, if I'm, my memory serves me right, this was 2014, I could be by the tomb and I could look up to my right and see the skull, the hill, um, where the crucifixion took place. So that's what you meant about looking up from the tomb itself, correct? Yeah, there's there, that's one of the criteria, the <clears throat> biblical criteria, is the place where he was crucified is called the place of the skull. Yeah. And at the garden tomb, you clearly have a an image of a skull in the rock cliff where Absolutely. these crucifixions took place. Absolutely, I remember that distinctly. I remember that distinctly. Yeah. All right, listening to an archived stream from a man pastoring a very small church plant, he casually dropped the statement that Mary... Christ's mother was a girl from Palestine. The little I could pick up from his training, by the way, of one of his church members was something about being supported by Baptist convergence. Can you explain what the Baptists did with this convergence, and could they possibly be perpetuating such apostasy, or is that just an off-the-wall preacher? I'll be honest, I have total ignorance on this Okay. to try to answer it biblically. I'm not sure. All right, I appreciate that. I don't either know what the Baptist convergence is. Mary was clearly a Jewish woman. Her yeah. genealogy uh, is in the scriptures twice, yeah, actually. Right, right. Uh, but remember, Palestine, Israel was renamed Palestine. So one of the histories I think the world has mm-hmm. forgotten is that Palestine, historically— is just renamed Israel. So yes. to call her a Palestinian is is kind of correct. But look, today we make a distinction between Palestinians, which are generally considered Arabs, and Israel, which is considered descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So mm-hmm. I would I, any pastor that says that I I would disagree with that statement. Mary was Jewish. Well, wasn't it one of the emperors who actually called it originally Palestine as a um, dis against uh, the Correct. Jews who rebelled against him, and the root word is it comes from uh, Philista or Philistines, mm-hmm. and so it's a playoff on the word Philistines that he names them. Okay, and names the country Palestine. Yep. All right. I heard that in the Jewish culture, there was not it was not unusual to give the inheritance before the father passed away. Is that true? Can that be what motivated the prodigal son, even though he sinned greatly in the process? Well, I don't know if that was a common practice. I I can see in several places in Scripture where that was the case, but I don't know if that was a a cultural thing that you were given your inheritance before the, the father passed. Jeff, do you have a comment on that? I don't. I, I'm right with you. I know we see it in the in the story of the prodigal son, but I don't know that it was common at all. There's a good book out there called Manners and Customs of the uh, Bible. Yeah. And it goes into the historical background of these kind of things, which may be a good place to look. I, I think I have that book at home, but I haven't looked at it in a long time. All right. A nice correction from Scott, who's a very bright student of God's Word. And this goes back to our one Hindi is a religion in India. 
Our Hindu is a religion in India. Hindi is a language in India. Guy talk seems to be confusing the two. Thanks for uh, pointing yeah, that out. Good clarification. Yeah. Good clarification. And we jumped. We jumped to the conclusion that he was talking about Hinduism. Yeah, yeah. Of yeah. course we did. And yes, many Hindus, he said, are interested in talking about faith-related matters. So open up. That's a good sign. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Scott, for that uh, piece of wisdom. I hope you're still listening. Uh, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we've got time for your questions. So what do you have for us? 877-933-2484. 877-933-2484. No reasonable offer will be refused. We'll be right back. We want to pray for you. We all need prayer. We would love to pray for you. The Faith Radio team is serious about prayer, and we pray for specific listener requests every week. Share your prayer requests with us anonymously and securely on our website at myfaithradio.com. We're back with more Guide Talk, or guys who talk. Love your questions. Thanks for sending them over. 877-933-2484. Do you think it's safe for Christians to send their kids to public schools? (laughs) Or as Christians, should we be always looking to private Christian schools? You know, that's a a wonderful question, given the current status of affairs. Um, If I were raising children today, I'm just going to give you my own, because it is opinion, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm only going to give you my opinion. If I was raising children today, I would not send them to the public school because in too many instances, it's indoctrination versus education. And we can see story after story about what's happening in the public schools. Now, sending them to a Christian school is no guarantee that they're not going to be indoctrinated as well, but there's a better chance that that's not going to happen. You know, I'm on the board, for instance, Liberty Classical Academy, which is a Christian school. I know what they're being taught there in terms of their faith. And they use the classical model of, you know, rhetoric and logic and so forth. And they're followers of, of Christ, and they're preparing them to engage a fallen world. So they're not creating separatists. They're, engaging, they're, they're creating individuals that have a biblical worldview that are going to be prepared to, to enter the world. So in my sense... Uh, what's happening today, I wouldn't send my child to public school. Now, the argument that is often raised is, well, aren't our children supposed to be a testimony to people who are in that kind of a setting? And I said, are you going to go, I I was actually talking to somebody about this, and I said, are you going to lay on the responsibility on the shoulders of a child to give a defense for the hope that's in him that hasn't got the ability right now to reason or to logically understand the implications of what's being done, that you're going to send them to that public school in the hopes that they might be able to lead somebody to Christ, I think that's wrong in, in this this situation. I'm just, again, is it my opinion. I like where you're at. My wife was, I taught public school, uh, but that was many, many years ago. My wife is a retired principal out of Minneapolis, and she would not be a principal today. With all that's happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she got in plenty of trouble because of her Christian beliefs and standing up for them. The problem is many parents can't afford to send their kids to a private school. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work that way. What we need to do in the church, 
especially the, more the inner city situation, is also train the parents how to go to the school board meetings and talk to the school boards, how to talk to the teachers, how to challenge what's going on. And, you know, most of us feel that's overwhelming and that it'll never change anything. Believe me, it won't change if we don't do that. Somewhere along the way, we have to stand up and say no. Yeah, well, there's there's other options besides, uh, obviously, these are, are, are in, Christian schools are, are having to charge tuition in order for kids sure. to go there. And some, as you said, Tom, can't afford it. But there are still, still, it's still legal to go to a charter school. Yes. Which, uh, you know, there's no guarantee there that they're not going to be indoctrinated as well. But still, I think, a, a better step than staying in a public setting. There's also homeschooling. And and that's a relatively, I, I won't say inexpensive, but it certainly is inexpensive compared to sending them to a Christian public school that, that or excuse me, a, a Christian school that charges tuition. But homeschooling has exploded across the country because of what's happening. And the information on the internet for homeschool parents that's Christian-based and yet mm-hmm. based on the truth of our history, the Constitution, mm-hmm. is phenomenal. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Christian education or Christ-centered education. My kids went to K through 12 and even Christian colleges, actually. Um, God exhorts the church to bring up our children in training and instruction of the Lord. So really the education, the education of our children is the parents' responsibility to bring them up. This is to parents, fathers, it says, bring them up in training of the Lord. So this is the family, the parents' responsibility first and foremost. Now, parents, you need to decide are you going to partner with a Christian school that shares your values, has a biblical worldview, and knows uh, Jesus Christ? And are you going to partner with them to help you bring up your children in God's ways? Or are you going to partner with a secular school a, a secular that's going to teach your child uh, in many ways exactly the opposite of of what you're trying to teach them at home. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you have, you you're you, every school is a religious school by the way. Yeah, you have to decide right. if you're going to send them to a Christian religious school or a secular humanist <laughs> religious school. And I can tell you these institutions are getting worse and worse and worse from a biblical perspective every year. And here's the challenge I would put out. The church I serve is inner city. And a lot of the parents can't afford, you know, a private school. However, What's been phenomenal that I've seen the last couple of years is I've had members come forward and we've established a fund that people are giving thousands of dollars to so that these kids can go to a Christian school, yeah. you know, at, a, at either a greatly reduced cost or no cost, depending on the situation. But it's men and women who have made money and have gotten their kids educated. But now they're saying, I want to help another child you know, have a good education in the yeah, world. It's, it's not impossible. It's, no. it's not impossible to train up your child if you send them to public education. We know there's there's financial limitations, right? That's why we need, by the way, uh, we need school reform and, and how we pay for schools and dollars should follow yeah. kids to the school of their choice and so on. But that's a whole nother conversation. You can be a strong Christian and send your kids to public schools, but be engaged and you're going to have yeah. to undo some of the stuff that they're picking up and learning in those public schools. All right. Are we all assigned a guardian angel? And if so, is it from birth or at conversion? Or is it just a romanticized idea created by man? I don't believe anywhere in Scripture it says that we are given a guardian angel. What it does say is that God uses his angels as messengers 
to us for a given situation or circumstance, not that we're assigned a guarding angel. I'd, I'd love for that to be true, but I don't see it in Scripture. No, I don't either. Mm, I agree. Yeah. Well, didn't Israel have uh, Michael assigned to it? Well, for a particular reason, as right. a messenger to them. But is, yeah, for that's, a nation. Yeah, yeah that for a nation, but yeah. there's no precedence there for individuals. No. Not that I'm aware of. Yeah. All right, we just have a couple of minutes left. Is there any activity or tradition between now and Christmas that you and your family always look forward to doing? Well, my wife starts decorating for Christmas the day after uh, after October 31st. We have in our home 12 Christmas trees of various sizes. Wait, so you have one more than last week? Yes. Yes, she got that. She got that yesterday. <laughs> oh, she, she got that yes. But if you walk into my home, it's just absolutely uh, stunning. So it it gives her such great joy because we know we're going to bring family over and we celebrate Christmas together. We make sure that Christ is the center of that. We have several crushes, the 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 scene of the manger scattered throughout the house in small version and large version. And it's just a constant reminder of what the season is about. So that's kind of a tradition, Bill. I mean, this is what my wife does every year as a service to the family. Will nice. you be offering tours? <laughs> sure, if you want to come over. <laughs> yeah, we come should on do, over a, we should do a little video tour. That would be fun. <laughs> that would be fun. Yeah, it's just stunning. We have, you know, certainly traditions we grew up with in terms of decorating the tree and things like that. Um, we have, in our house, our tradition is that Every ornament on the tree has some reflection of the gospel. So it's either going to be a bulb with it says Jesus is Lord or, you know, mm. born in Bethlehem, or it's going to be a wooden figure. Um, and we try to make sure that all of our the surroundings of that with the nativity and other things all reflect the message because I'm, I'm tired of watching TV shows and movies that keep telling me Christmas is about magic. It's not <laughs> about magic. It's about Jesus, and we need to get back to the source. I, we have our family has done a fondue on Christmas Eve, mm. a little different than a lot of traditions, but it's kind of neat in the sense that, you know, uh, a traditional meal takes a long time to prepare and then it's over in you know a few minutes. Uh, fondue is kind of the opposite. You kind of set everything on the table and you have you know chicken and shrimp and steak and it takes a long time to cook so you're sitting there for much longer and you're just enjoying each other's company uh for what's more in at your the fondue tables. that's the question yeah, I well, yeah i'm calling this uh i'm calling this, this we're done <laughs> we're done you guys are making me hungry and we're out of time so thank you so much for being here and for another fun guy talk couple hours that's our show for the day thank you for spending time with us We love being with you and look forward to uh, next time. Have a great night, everyone. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.